pastor, strengthen him, and from their spirit, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, we're well, there in Revelation chapter number 12. I'd like you to keep your place right there in Revelation 12 and go with me to the Gospel of Luke, if you would, Luke chapter number 10, Luke chapter number 10. And uh, I announced this morning that tonight I'm preaching a specific sermon on the subject of the fall of Satan. And this is a subject that I get asked questions about from time to time. And in Luke chapter 10, we have a passage where the Lord Jesus Christ uh, speaks about that. If you're there in Luke chapter 10, if you look down at verse number 17, Luke chapter 10 and verse 17, the Bible says, And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. If you remember, Jesus had sent in Luke chapter 10, he sent the 70 out to preach the gospel. They came back rejoicing. Verse 18, and he said unto them, Jesus speaking to the disciples, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give, un I, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you, notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And uh, several weeks ago when we were in Luke chapter 10, I had mentioned that I would preach an entire sermon uh, just dedicated to the subject found in verse 18. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. And that's what I'm doing tonight. This morning we dealt with a passage in chapter 11, and we talked about the chief of the devils. We talked about Satan and his kingdom, his realm, and his reign. And uh, I just thought it was fitting to throw this sermon in to deal with uh, this subject about the fall of the devil. And uh, tonight will be very much of a Bible study, and uh, I'll give you an application at the end. You know, I always try to do that. Uh, but uh, I, I want to speak about this subject and help you understand it. And let me just say up front that there's a lot of confusion. One of the reasons I get a lot of questions about this subject is because there, there's a lot of confusion and a lot of uh, arguing, arguing, I don't know if that's the right term, but people have contradicting views in regards to the fall of the devil. People have thoughts about the fall of the devil, and then they read verses in the Bible that align themselves with their thoughts, and then they read other verses or other passages in the Bible that seem to not align themselves with those thoughts. And because of that, a lot of questions arise, and, and, and it seems as though there's uh, contradictions. And I want to just help you understand this. And I believe that uh, a lot of that can be answered when you understand something very simple about the fall of the devil. Uh, and I will, I'm going to just give it to you right up front, and some of you are going to say, yes, I agree, and some of you are going to say, know your heretic or whatever, um, just keep it to yourself if you say that. But um, I'll, I'll spend the rest of the evening just proving this to you from the Bible. But let me just give you my uh, explanation or my uh, idea in regards to the fall of the devil that I think will help you understand these passages that seem to contradict each other, and it is this, that when we speak on the subject of the fall of the devil, you need to understand that there are actually at least two different falls of the devil. And uh, there are two falls in regards to the devil. I'll explain that. You could probably make an argument for more falls of the devil if you wanted to, and I won't do that tonight, but I'll throw that in at some point in the sermon as well. Uh, but what you need to understand is that there are different passages that deal with different falls regarding Satan. And this is usually true 
of, of, of lots of things that people will often misunderstand or contradict. Uh, for example, there are, there, there's a lot of controversy in regards to uh, Jesus being the only begotten and the, the term begotten. Um, when was he begotten? Of course, we believe that that happened at birth, but then there's other passages that seem to indicate that he was begotten at, at a different time at the resurrection. And what people don't understand is that he was begotten multiple times. One time he was begotten, uh, the only begotten of the Father, of course, in his uh, human body, but then he was also begotten into his glorified body at the resurrection. And uh, sometimes the answer to the question is we, we try to put all these verses into one Thing, and we just have to realize that the Bible is, is, is bigger than that. And, uh, and, and I'm, I'm using that as an example, and I don't want to get off on that rabbit's trail, but some of you are familiar with that concept, and that's really kind of what we see with the fall of Satan. So let me, let me just give you kind of the two falls up front, and I, I needed to title them. I needed to give them a title to be able to differentiate the two for you. If you don't like my titles, that's okay. I don't necessarily like them either. I just need to have, I need structure. So I need to give things titles, and if I'm going to give things titles, they need to be alliterated. It's just the way my mind works, all right? So when we talk about the fall of Satan, the first fall, I'm titling it this, and you can jot this down if you'd like. It's Satan's fall from grace. Satan's fall from grace. And then the second fall, and I'm going to show both of, this, uh, both of these to you uh, from the Bible, is what we might refer to or what I'll refer to as Satan's fall from glory. Satan's fall from glory. Now, you're there in Luke chapter 10. That's the only verse I want you to notice there in verse 18. Jesus said, and we'll come back to this verse at the end of the sermon. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Now, I'd like you to go with me, if you would, to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 14. If you find the major prophets, they're all clustered together. You have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, those big books towards the end of the Old Testament. There are two major passages that teach us about Satan and the origin of Satan, and specifically in the Old Testament. One is in Isaiah chapter 14, and the other is in Ezekiel chapter 28. And I want you to notice this first fall, uh, which I'm calling Satan's fall from grace. And I want you to understand a couple of things regarding this first fall. First, I want you to notice Satan's sin. In Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12, we see this terminology. And I like the terminology fall because it's a term that's kind of used throughout the Bible regarding Satan. Isaiah 14 and verse 12, the Bible says this, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Lucifer, in your King James Bible, Isaiah 14, 12, this is the only time you see the name Lucifer. You don't see it in any other modern Bible versions. You only see it in the King James Bible. And in the King James Bible, you only see it here in Isaiah 14, 12. This is uh, the name of Satan before his fell. We often think of the name Lucifer as a scary name and some sort of an evil name. But this was actually his name when he was a good guy. When he became a bad guy, his name was Satan, the dragon, the serpent, the devil. But as a, an angel of God, Prior to, before his sin, his name was Lucifer. Here we're told, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? I want you to notice the, the terms here. Fallen from heaven, cut down to the ground. Isaiah 14, uh, verse 13. Notice, why did he fall from heaven? For thou hast said in thine heart, and he fell as a result of sin. Notice his sin. He said, I will. And of course, we know that Satan's sin was a sin of pride. And by the way, let me just say this. All sin is rooted in pride. 
Um, all sin is rooted in this idea that I will do what I want to do and nobody can tell me uh, what to do. Well, if you have that attitude, you, you sound like Satan. Because in verse 13, he says, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. Notice he says, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. He says, I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. He says in verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. He says, I will be like the most high. Don't you notice how many times he used this term? I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Satan's sin was the fact that he wanted to, uh, to ascend to the same level as God. He said, I will be like the Most High. And for that reason, we're told, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Now, go, if you would, to Ezekiel. There in Isaiah, just flip over past the book of Jeremiah, Lamentations, into the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 28. While you turn there, let me just explain to you a little bit about Satan's sin his fall from we'll call grace. And, and look, if you don't like that term, I don't necessarily like it either. Um, because I just didn't know what else to call it. But it, we, we understand he didn't fall from grace. He was never saved. He's a, uh, he, he's a creature. He's a created being. I get that. But what I'm saying is that Satan's first fall was that of going from an incorrupt being to a corrupt being, uh, a being that was a, a sin uh, that was holy to a being that was a sinner. Uh, we see Satan's sin. In this first fall, just to kind of help you understand, you know, we don't know exactly when this happened. We see this glimpse in Isaiah. We're going to see another glimpse here in Ezekiel. Here's what we do know. It happened at some point after the creation of God and the events that we see in the Garden of Eden between the serpent and Eve. Now, in your Bible, you're, you're going to go from from Genesis 2 to, to Genesis 3. Uh, and, and in Genesis 1, of course, you have the creation of God. Genesis 2, we get more insight into the week of creation, specifically day number 6. We get details about things that happened on day 6 when man was created. And then on, on, in Genesis 3, we're in the Garden of Eden with Eve, and she's being tempted by the serpent and the devil. How much time happened between the creation of God, or when God created the heavens and the earth, that, that creation week, and the events of the Garden of Eden, we're not sure. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us that. Uh, but his fall, the fall of Satan, happened between there. Now, you may ask, why do you believe that? Why do you think that he fell after creation? Some people think he might have fell before creation or something like that. And I would just say this. Uh, he didn't fall before creation because he was created, all right? Satan is a created being. We're going to see that in Ezekiel 28. So he was created along with everything else. When God spoke the heavens and the earth into existence, the Bible says, you know, he said he, he spoke the world and the heavens into the existence. That includes all of the angelic beings. And at the end of the creation week, the Bible tells us that God looked down upon all of his creation and he said that it was good. So we know that at the end of the creation week, he looked at everything he created, including the angels and including Lucifer, and he said it was good. And then we flip the page to chapter 3, and he's a serpent, and he's tempting Eve with sin. So we know that his fall from grace, if you want to call it that, or from glorification, from being a holy angel or sinless angel, that fall happened between the time of creation week and his appearance in the Garden of Eden. Ezekiel 28, are you there? Look at verse 12. 
Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 12, the Bible says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. Now here we have uh, uh, Ezekiel preaching to the king of Tyrus, but the king of Tyrus is used as, as, a, as a pseudo name for Satan. And, and again, I don't have time to, to develop that. You'll, it'll become real clear as you read this that this is not about the king of Tyrus. And just to, to give you a couple of thoughts, remember we saw this morning in Daniel how often the demonic beings that control certain uh, uh, kingdoms will be called by the names of those kings. Not only that, but earlier in Ezekiel 28, like I'm talking about just the verses right before this, is a prophecy against the physical uh, prince of Tyrus. He's referred to as the prince of Tyrus. And then in verse 12, he's referred to as the king of Tyrus because we're not, not talking about uh, the, the political leader of Tyrus, of Tyre, but we are talking about Satan who is controlling him. And the reason that the king of Tyre is used as an example for Satan is because he's highly proud, arrogant individual. You can read Ezekiel 28, verses 1 through 11, and that's very clear. But look at verse 12. We don't have time for that. You can do that on your own. Verse 12, son of man, take up a lamentation upon, king, upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Remember, he's talking to Satan allegorically through the prophecy of the king of Tyrus. Thus saith the Lord God, thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now notice verse 13. Notice what Ezekiel says to the king of Tyrus. Thou has been in Eden, the garden of God. Okay, so obviously he's not talking to the physical prince or leader of Tyrus. That guy was not in the Garden of Eden. He's talking to Satan who controls the king of Tyrus because we know, look, the Bible only documents that there were three people in the Garden of Eden, and not counting God himself, of course. You had Adam, you had Eve, and you had the serpent. Now, he's not talking to Adam and he's not talking to Eve. So he's speaking, Ezekiel is prophesying and speaking and preaching about Satan. Notice verse 13, thou has been in Eden, the Garden of God, Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship, notice the phrase, notice the, the terms, the workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was, notice the, the terminology, prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. All right? So notice that Satan is a created being. His, the workmanship of his tablets were prepared in thee, the Bible says, in the day that thou was created. So he's created. Look, the Mormons teach that Satan is Jesus' brother, and this is not true. Uh, Satan is a created being. He's an angelic being that fell from uh, his glorified body or from grace or whatever you want to call it. Notice there in, uh, look at verse 14. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Now, the reference here, when he says thou wast upon the holy mountain of God, the word mountains throughout the Bible is often used of physical mountains, obviously. Sometimes it's used of other locations like kingdoms in general. And I believe here the mountain of God is a reference to, to heaven, saying that thou wast upon the holy mountain of God, thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Notice verse 15. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created. Notice the emphasis, though, till iniquity was found in thee. So the first fall of Satan was a fall in which he lost his innocence or lost 
uh, his sinlessness, the fact that he was created an angel uh, that was holy, that did not have sin in him, uh, when he decided to lift himself up and try to lift himself against God, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit upon the mount of the congregation, I will ascend above the heights of the cloud, I will be like the Most High. Then he sinned. The Bible says that thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. So we know that he sinned. We see Satan's sin sometime between the creation in which God said that everything that he had made was very good and when he appears in the Garden of Eden. Look at verse 15. Excuse me, we saw verse 15. Look at verse 16. Well, look at verse 15 again. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day thou was created till the iniquity was found in thee. Verse 16. By the multitudes of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence. And thou hast, notice the emphasis now, thou hast sinned, therefore I will cast thee as profane. So notice that the Bible keeps talking to us about the fact that he's cast, he's cut down. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? What was his first fall? It was that of which that he was perfect till iniquity was found in thee. Thou hast sinned, verse 16. Therefore, this is God speaking, I will cast thee as profane. What does the word profane mean? It means not holy, not pure. It means corrupt. He says, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. So notice he's cast out of the mountain of God. And I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, uh, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up. We saw that in Isaiah, right? I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will ascend uh, above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. That was his sin. Verse 17. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. Notice what God says. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. So I want you to notice that we see Satan's fall is a, as a result of Satan's sin, and he is physically, literally cast out of the mountain of God. He's thrown out of heaven. Now, you might be asking, well, if he's thrown out of heaven, then why don't you give, uh, give, say that there's another fall in what you're calling his fall from glory? And I'll explain that in a minute. Uh, but go to Job, if you would. Job chapter number 1. You're there in Ezekiel. If you go backwards, you have Lamentations, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Psalms, and the book of Job. You can find Psalms right in the center of the Bible. Right before Psalms, you have Job, Job chapter 1. Here's what I'd like you to understand about Satan's first fall, his fall, what I'm referring to as his fall from grace. When he sinned, he fell. And when he fell the first time, I want you to understand this, he lost his position in heaven. That's why the Bible says, Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. He said, Thou hast sinned, therefore I will cast thee as profane. He said, You've corrupted yourself, I will cast thee to the ground. So Satan, when he sinned, he lost his position in heaven. His position in heaven, and I don't take the time to go into a lot of details, but we, here's what we know. He's the, he was the anointed cherub. That sounds like... Uh, it's got some sort of high rank. Uh, and again, this morning I, I talked about the fact that uh, in, the, in the Ark of the Covenant, we have the cherubs that actually, with their wings, form an ark over the ark 
two different arcs, but we have they form a wing, uh, arcs over the ark. So we've got the covering cherub, and then we have Michael the archangel. So they probably had these positions where their wings would form an arc over the Holy of Holies in heaven. We're also told, we read there in Ezekiel, that his physical body was prepared as an instrument. He had pipes and in and, and, and his body, so you know we can ascertain from that that he probably uh, had some sort of a music ministry, some sort of a worship ministry in heaven. And again, we don't know all of that for sure, but when you look at the, the music of today being influenced by the devil, uh, then you just realize that the guy has uh, some musical knowledge. And the Bible tells us that his body is physically an instrument. So when he fell, he fell in regards to sin, and he lost his position. He's no longer the anointed cherub. He's no longer even referred to as Lucifer. He's no longer one of God's holy angels. He's cast down to the earth. But here's what I want you to understand. When he lost his position in heaven, he did not lose his access to heaven. Now, he no longer has a position in heaven, and he no longer resides in heaven. What I mean by that is he doesn't live in heaven. He's cast out of the mount of God. He's cast down to the earth. He was cut down to the ground. He's here on earth. By the way, let me just say this. He's not in hell. The devil's never been to hell. Satan's never been to hell. People have this idea like, oh, Satan's in hell and he runs hell. No, the Lord Jesus Christ runs hell. And one day Satan is going to go to hell. He's going to be punished there. But he's not in hell. You say, where is Satan now? On earth. He's on earth. But I want you to understand something. He has still access to heaven. This is, this is highlighted for us in the story of Job. Look at it. Job chapter 1. I'm not going to go through the whole story of Job. You're familiar with Job, I'm sure. If you're not, why not? <laughs> Read the Bible. Job 1, verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Now, let me just say this. I don't want to get a bunch of rabbit trails. But people, you know, people don't like to just study the Bible and take the Bible for what it says. So they like to come up with all sorts of crazy things. And one thing that dispensationalists like to teach is that the sons of God here are not actually the sons of God, they're angels. And, and that is dispensational teaching. We reject that completely. That is not true. Uh, you say, well, well, and I don't have time to go into that. I preached sermons on that before. Let me just make a couple of points. First of all, in Job chapter 4 and verse 18, Job, the writer of Job, uses the term angel in regards to God's angels. So if he calls them angels in just a few chapters later, why does he call them the sons of God here? Not only that, but the Bible, all throughout the Bible, if you just study the term the sons of God, it's always a reference to Christians or believers. It's always to those who are the saved are referred to as the sons of God. Now are we the sons of God, the Bible says. He gave him power to become the sons of God. So the sons of God all throughout the Bible are Christians, are saved people, Job uses the term angel at another passage in the same book, so he's, he doesn't use the, the term sons of God, and, and the, uh, you, know, you can't make the argument, well, he, does, he didn't have the word angel, so he used the son of God. Well, he used the word angel elsewhere. So if, if he was talking about angels, he could have said, now there was a day when the angels of God came to present themselves to the Lord. He said sons of God for a reason. And not only that, the Bible specifically says in the book of Hebrews that God never has referred to an angel as a son. 
So it's just kind of ridiculous to me that people are like, oh, well, the sons of God here, it's not talking about believers, it's talking about angels. When there's a passage that says God has never called an angel a son of God in Hebrews, sons of God are consistently believers or saints, and the book of Job itself uses both the terms sons of God and angels in the same book. So just all that to say this, the sons of God there are not angels. You say, well, what are they? Do we need some complicated commentary to help? Look, the sons of God are who the sons of God have always been. They're just believers. You say, believers? Yeah, Old Testament saints that are in heaven are the sons of God here in Job 1. Now, there was a day when the sons of God... Do you know that when people die and they're saved, they go to heaven? In the Old Testament, they went to heaven. They didn't go to Abraham's armpit. They, they go to heaven. They're in heaven. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, notice, and Satan, all right, and Satan came also among them. By the way, if, if you teach that the sons of God, that's Mormonism, because if you teach that the sons of God are angels, then you're teaching Satan was an angel, so you're teaching that Satan was the son of God, which is why people say, like, oh, Jesus and Satan are, are, are brothers. No, they're not. So, here we have a story where the sons of God, saints, believers in heaven, are going to see the Lord. Now, up in heaven. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Notice Satan is not one of them, but he comes with them. Verse 7, and the Lord said unto Satan, whence? You see that word whence? The word whence means from where? He says, whence comest thou? This is God speaking to Satan. He says, whence? He says, from where comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, notice what Satan says, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. So notice when Satan is asked, hey, where are you coming from? The response is, I'm going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it. Now, doesn't that make sense when we read 1 Peter 5, 8? Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. So you say, what, what is Satan doing right now? He's walking about the earth, seeking whom he may devour. He's going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it. Now, I want you to understand, Satan, in Job, we're told, is on earth, going to and fro. But from time to time... He shows up to heaven because he has access to heaven. He doesn't live in heaven. He lost his position in heaven. But from time to time, he goes up to heaven and he speaks to God. You say, what do they speak about? Well, we're going to see this in Revelation, but let me just, but, but you can see it from Job as well. The Bible calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. You say, why does Satan go up to heaven? Here's why Satan goes up to heaven. He spends all day, every day, this ought to help some of you get, want to get right with God. You know what Satan does? He, because he still has access to heaven. He spends all day, every day, going up to God and accusing the brethren. He's saying, oh, notice what your son did. Notice. They, they're, they're committing adultery. Look what David did. No, notice. They, they relapsed again. Notice, I mean, just constantly throwing it in God's face because he's the accuser of the brethren. That's what he does. So every time you and I just decide we're going to live in sin, just realize that we're giving Satan something to go up to heaven and just throw in God's face. Look what your children are doing. 
Look at what these so-called Christians are doing, these believers are doing, these so-called disciples. Now here, God is excited. I mean, this kind of helps you understand the book of Job because Satan shows up and the Lord said unto Satan, when comest thou, then Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it, and the Lord said unto Satan, it seems odd that God would just like throw this out there, but when you realize that Satan is the accuser of the brethren and he spends all day, every day, reminding God about how his children are messing up and not doing the right thing and not, uh, are not living for him, God is excited and he says, has thou considered my servant Job? He said, look at Job. Hey, that's the kind of Christian I want to be. Where God is not ashamed to be called our God. Has thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in all the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Escheweth evil? Look at verse 9. And Satan answered the Lord and said, now notice, notice what Satan says, because he's what? The accuser of the brethren. He's constantly accusing the brethren. So notice Job's, uh, Satan's response to God saying, has thou considered my servant Job? His response is, doth Job fear God for naught? Well, yeah, I know Job's living for you, God, but does he do it for nothing? Has not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side and has blessed the work of his hands and his substance has increased in the land and put forth thine hand? He, he, notice, here's the accusation, verse 11. But put forth thine hand now and touch, touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. That's the accusation. Why does Satan go up to heaven? To accuse the brethren. He's on earth, but he has access to heaven. Go to Revelation 2. I'm not going to go through the whole story. You know the story of Job. If you don't, go home and read it. Job 2. In Job 2, we have round 2. Because remember, God gives him, he says, okay, go ahead and take everything he has, and let's see what happens. And of course, Job does not curse God. Job, you know, passes the test with flying colors. In, Revelation, in Job 2.1, we see it again. And there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Has thou considered my servant Job? That there, is like, uh, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without a cause. And then notice again, true to form, the accuser of the brethren. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now, and touch his bones and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And of course, God gives Satan permission to touch his body, and, say, and, and Job still does not curse God. He passes the test. But I, I want you to just notice that what we learn from Job is that Satan is on this earth walking to and fro, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, but he still has access to heaven. He still goes to heaven in order to accuse the brethren and to throw it in God's face every time you and I choose to serve Satan over God. That's the state of affairs right now. Go to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. So we have the first fall. We're calling it the fall from grace. Now, in the first fall, he did fall from heaven. He no longer has his position in heaven. He did fall from heaven. But he still has access to heaven. And he goes to heaven as the accuser of the brethren. 
Now, in Revelation chapter 12, and we're going to go through every verse of Revelation chapter 12. In Revelation chapter 12, we have kind of a history of humanity. If you understand the book of Revelation, you know that the book of Revelation is divided into two parts. Chapters 1 through 11 deal with uh, the end times events, of course, and they, it goes in chronological order. And then in chapter 12, we start over, uh, and, and from chapter 12 to the end of the book, we have, again, the chronology of end times given to us a second time with a different view. The first section of Revelation has an earthly view. We see things from the perspective of mankind. The second uh, part of Revelation has a heavenly view. We see the end times events from the perspective of heaven. Revelation 12 and verse 1, the Bible says, There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. Now, we have this woman, and, and obviously Revelation chapter 12 is all allegory. Okay, none of this is literal. Now, when it comes to the Bible, we should always take the Bible literally. We should always approach the Bible as though it's literal, unless it's obvious that it's not. You say, how do you know if it's obvious that it's not? Well, if somebody tells us, like if Jesus says, hey, let me give you a parable, and he starts giving you a parable, then obviously that's not literal. But as you read passages of Scripture, obviously when people are telling stories, look, when 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 things are happening that are just not physically possible, it's an allegory, and you should take it as such. But, we should, but don't become one of these Christians who just says everything in the Bible is an allegory. Most of the things in the Bible are literal. But the Bible does use allegories and use stories to help us understand things. This is an allegory. There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. Now, there's a lot of, of debate in regards to who this woman is, all right? And I'm not going to take the time to go through that. One day, I will preach through every verse of Revelation, and I'll deal with that. But let me just quickly uh, give you some, some of the, the things that people like to say. One thing is they like to say that this woman is uh, a representation of the nation of Israel. They say that primarily because of the head of crown of 12 stars upon her head. And the 12 stars obviously seem to allude to the 12 tribes of Israel or whatever. Other people try to argue that this is Mary because this is about the birth of Christ and she, being with child, cried travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. So they'll say the woman is Mary because she literally gave uh, birth to Christ and then another view, and, and you say, which, which one is your view? I'll explain my view. My view is, is this, this last view, but I'll, I'll explain how my view kind of encompasses all of these. The other view is that this woman is a representation of Eve, not physically the woman Eve, but because the Bible tells us that Eve is the mother of all living, that this is a representation of, of uh, humanity, all mankind. Now, you say, well, how does that encompass everyone? You know, because I do think that the 12 stars are picturing the nation of Israel. And I do think that the woman giving birth to Christ is picturing Mary. So you say, well, how does that all work? Here's why. Because Jesus is a product of all of humanity. If you, if you look at the Gospels, you'll find that we have in the book of Matthew a chronology of the Lord Jesus Christ that goes back through King David to Abraham, proving that Jesus was the king of the Jews. 
So he is a physical, fleshly descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon. He is a product of the Jewish uh, line. There's a chronology that proves that. So it makes sense that there's here highlighted these 12 stars representing the nation of Israel. Obviously, he's the son of Mary. Mary gave birth to him. So it makes sense that it would picture Mary, and we'll see how it pictures Mary here in a bit. But here's the thing. Jesus, if you go to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel we're currently studying, Luke emphasizes the humanity of Christ, and the chronology in Luke goes all the way back to Adam. You say, why does it go all the way back to Adam? To prove the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this woman, in my opinion, encompasses all of, all of humanity that took part in bringing us the Lord Jesus Christ that would encompass the nation of Israel because he did, he is of the seed of Abraham, and that would, of course, encompass Mary because Mary gave birth to him. Does that make sense? And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed in the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars, and she being with child cried, uh, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And by the way, let me just say this. You say, I don't know, all the way back to Eve. All the way back to Eve... The birth of the Lord Jesus Christ was prophesied. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read this for you. Genesis 3.15, after the fall, here's what God said to Eve. He said, and I, God, will put enmity between thee, referring to Satan, the serpent, and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is why I told you this morning. Satan hates all of humanity. He's always hated humanity. He tried to destroy Adam and Eve. He caused them to sin. He, he's hated humanity, and especially after it was prophesied that the Messiah would come through Eve, through humanity, he's always hated humanity. So get the picture, Revelation 12, 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed in the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown. So that the, the sun and the moon encompasses all of humanity, everyone on earth. And specifically, Jesus came through the nation of Israel, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. Look at verse 3. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon. Who's this? This is Satan. We're going to see that later on in the passage. Having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. Who are the third part of the stars of heaven? This is the one-third of the angels that followed Satan in his sin and became devils. And did cast them to the earth. Notice the Bible always emphasizes their fall. They were cast to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Okay, so here's how we see that this woman represents Mary in one aspect. Because of the fact that the Bible tells us that the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now, you know, this is why you need to understand this is an allegory. This has not literally happened. But this allegory is picturing the fact, if, you're, if you remember Matthew chapter 2, picturing the fact that Herod slew all of the children in Bethlehem who were two years old and under because he was trying to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Herod was told that there was born a king of the Jews, and he tried to have all of the children that were born within that time frame to be killed. That happened here 
when it is said that he did uh, that that the that the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. But let me just say this: it encompasses the nation of Israel. I'm talking about the old nation of Israel, the Old Testament nation of Israel, not the Jews, <laughs> the unbelieving Jews of today. And it encompasses all of humanity because Eve was told, and Satan, uh, the serpent was told in regards to, to Eve, that I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, that there's going to be enmity, conflict between Satan and the seed of Eve, which is all humanity. And it encompasses the nation of Israel because the story of Herod kind of reminds us of the story in Exodus where Pharaoh had all of the male Hebrew children thrown into the river. So why did, why did Pharaoh have all of the Hebrew children thrown into the river? Well, Pharaoh had his personal reasons. He didn't want the, uh, the, the Hebrews to multiply and to have a lot of men that would overpower them. But the truth is that Pharaoh was controlled by Satan, and Satan has always been at war with humanity and specifically trying to end the line that would bring the Lord Jesus Christ. So this, this allegory encompasses kind of all of history, including Satan going to war with Eve, including uh, Satan going to war with the Hebrew children in Exodus, and including Herod trying to kill all of the children in Bethlehem. We read that the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for, to devour her child as soon as it was born. Look at verse 15. And she, of course it's Mary, but it's, it's all of the nation of Israel because the line of Israel that brought us Mary, and it's all of humanity all the way back to Eve. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations. That's the Lord Jesus Christ with a rod of iron. I don't have time to run those verses. You can run the verses, rod of iron, rule of nations. All of that is in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Of course, that's referring to the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in Revelation chapter 12, verses 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, we have the story of mankind and the fact that the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent have been at odds with each other. There's enmity between them, and specifically because Satan wanted to kill and destroy and not allow the line that would bring the Messiah, not allow that to happen. All of that happens because of Satan's fall from grace. Because of Satan's sin, he lost his position in heaven, but he did not lose access to heaven, okay? Now, here's what I want you to understand, and if you don't mind writing in your Bible, if you like taking notes, maybe you can, you can do this. Draw a line between Revelation 12.5 and Revelation 12.6, okay? Because between Revelation 12 and verse 5 and Revelation 12 and verse 6, there is a line of time that goes by. I'll prove that to you, okay? Verses 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, the argument can be made that verses 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 start at, with Mary in the first century, but really they kind of encompass all of human history all the way back to Eve. Because obviously we're told that, he, that the dragon, uh, the red dragon, uh, verse 4, that his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. That obviously didn't happen in the first century. That happened earlier when uh, Satan fell uh, between creation and the Garden of Eden. But definitely verse 5, and she brought, or uh, uh, the, the end of verse 4, I should say, the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, 
for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Those events are first century, the life of Christ. I mean, that is referring to the birth of Christ, the ministry, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ are all encompassed in the last part of verse 4 and verse 5. Do you see? Do you see uh, hopefully that's all making sense. Sometimes I feel like maybe I'm, you know, I don't know, losing you. If I'm losing you, just, just nod and act like, you're, act like you like the Bible. Verse 5. Okay, here's what I want you to say. From verse 5 to verse 1, we have one time frame. It takes us from the fall of Satan and the fall of Eve to the ascension of Christ. Then in verse 6, there's there's now a new time frame that's being spoken of. Look at verse 6. And the woman. Remember, who, who does a woman represent? All of humanity. Not just the nation of Israel. Not just Mary. Not just singularly Eve, but what all what these women all represent, all of humanity. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God that they should feed her there. Notice these, the, this, this terminology. A thousand two hundred and three score days. One thousand two. 260 days. So what is this a reference to? And again, I'm not preaching about end times. And, and, and I mean, I am preaching about end times, but I'm not preaching specifically about Daniel's 70th week, but you can just jot this down and study this out on your own. The 1,203 score days is a reference to the first three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week. Daniel's 70th week is a reference to this last seven years of human history as we know it. Obviously, it's not the last years of, of human history. After Daniel's 70th week, you have the millennial reign, and then we go into eternity. But it's the last seven years of human history in this sinful state, as we know it, uh, is Daniel's 70th week. And Daniel's 70th week is divided into two sections, the first three and a half weeks and the second three and a half weeks. The first three and a half weeks is referred to biblically. I'm not talking about if you're listening to John Hagee, all right? All these pre-tribbers are wrong about this. These dispensations, they're all wrong about this. Say, so I can't believe you, you say that. Just read your Bible. The first three and a half weeks, it's what's referred to in the Bible as the tribulation or the great tribulation. The first four seals, known as the four horsemen, are referred to as the tribulation. And the fifth seal is referred to as the great tribulation, which is the, which is the persecution of all believers upon this earth. The sixth seal is the rapture. And then you have the next three and a half years, which are the wrath of God, when God pours out his wrath upon this earth. Here we are told that the woman, not Eve, not Mary, dead sure not the nation of Israel, all right? They're working with the Antichrist, the synagogue of Satan, okay? This is just all of humanity. Because look, the first three and a half years, and specifically the, four, the first four seals, the four horsemen, are an attack upon all humanity. All humanity is going to be suffering. There's going to be war and rumors of wars and pestilence and famines, and all of humanity is going to be uh, hurting and dying. You say, why? Because Satan hates all of humanity. He's at odds. He has enmity with the seed of Eve. And the woman... And again, this is all allegory. It's just teaching us things about what's going to happen in the end times. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God that they should feed her there 1,203 score days. That's the first three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week. You say, what is that referring to? 
It's referring to the fact that Satan's going to go to war with the entire world, try to kill all human beings. And the reason that they even survive is because God helps them. Verse 7, and there was war in heaven. Now, I want you to notice this phrase, because the Bible sometimes uses phrase to bookend different things. Look at Revelation 12, 1, and there appeared. Look at Revelation 12, 7, and there was. Okay, these are two different times. In Revelation 12, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, there appeared a great wonder. We hear about the woman, the, the birth of Christ, the ascension of Christ. Now we have a different time frame. How do we know we're in the end times? Because of the 1,203 score days, we're in Daniel's 70th week in verse 6. Do you understand that? Verse 7, I don't know why I'm asking you that because it doesn't matter. We're going to keep going. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Notice, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. I want you to make note of that phrase. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven, and the great dragon was cast out. You say, wait a minute, I thought the great... Because look, where's the context of Revelation 12, 9? We're in the tribulation period. The first three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week, you say, I thought Satan was cast out all the way in Isaiah 14. I thought Satan was cast out all the way in Ezekiel 28. I thought Satan was cast out, you know, sometime between creation week and when he appeared at the Garden of Eden. Why is he being cast out here in the end times? Here's why. Because he gets cast out twice. The first time he gets thrown out of his position, but he still has access to heaven. He goes up to heaven. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's throwing it in God's face that we're not doing right and that we're sinning. That's why we have that whole story about Job. But then the second time he's cast out, notice verse 8 again, and prevailed not, or look at verse 7, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. And look, Satan's, the Bible seems to indicate that Satan's constantly at war. His demons, the devils with the angels. This war has not happened yet. Notice the Bible says, and prevailed not. Who prevailed not? Satan. He, he's trying to, to wage war with heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Satan prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. You say, well, what's the difference between the first cast and the second cast? The first casting out, he lost his position, but he did not lose his access. He still roams the earth to and fro, and then he still shows up in heaven, and he's the accuser of the brethren. The second time he gets cast out, which has not happened yet, at that time, he's going to lose access to heaven. This is what we would refer to as he will be exiled from heaven. You say, how do you know that? Well, look at verse 8. And prevailed not. Who prevailed not? Satan in his war on heaven. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. There used to be place for him in heaven. There was a place. Maybe he wasn't allowed to live there or roam there, but he could come to heaven. There was a place. But after this, there was, uh, uh, there was neither, the Bible says, neither was there place found anymore in heaven. Now he's cast out and thrown out, and they're like, never come back. Okay? 
Satan is not a son of God, okay? And angels are not sons of God. I made that clear earlier. I don't want you to misunderstand this, this analogy I'm about to give you, but let me just give you an illustration. This is like, and I'm not saying Satan is a son of God, okay? Have I mentioned that I don't believe Satan is a son of God? Okay, hopefully you're, you, you get that. But just to kind of give you an illustration, this is like when parents, and I don't necessarily, I don't, I don't agree with this either, okay? I'm using an illustration that's not something I agree with, okay? You say, well, you shouldn't do that. Well, Jesus would use parables about unjust judges and, you know, unjust stewards, okay? So he would use parables he didn't, uh, of, of sinful things too. But I, I would equate this to like when a parent throws a, a kid out of their house. You know what I mean? You catch your, your kids like on drugs or whatever. They're just lazy or they're just being rebellious and you throw them out of the house. But, you know, they can't live there anymore, but they can still visit. You'll still have them over for Thanksgiving, You'll still have them over Christmas, but you don't want them living there anymore. You just got to throw them out. But then let's say they get worse. You know, they come over for Thanksgiving, and then they, they steal money from you because they're on drugs. Because children, please listen to me, that's what drug addicts do. That's why you never want to touch drugs. So, you know, they steal money from you, or they, you know, whatever. They pawned your, your wedding ring or something. They cross some line, and then you're just like, leave and never come back. Even Thanksgiving, even Thanksgiving, you know, you exile them. That's pretty much what happens today. The first time he gets thrown out, loses position, he still has access to heaven as the accuser of the brethren. But the second time, he's cast out, and neither was their place found anymore in heaven. He was cast out, he's exiled. Look at verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan which deceived the whole world, and he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Notice, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And Job is like, Amen. I know how that feels. Look at verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. Look at verse 12. Let me, let me prove to you that this second casting, he's exiled. So the first time he's cast out or he fell, it's as a result of his sin, and he lost his position, but he did not lose access to heaven. The second time, it's as a result of this war in heaven, and now he loses access to heaven, and he is exiled to the earth. He's not allowed to come back to heaven as the accuser of the brethren. And I want you to notice that this event, the exiling of Satan, puts some things into motion. Verse 12. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in the earth, and dwell in them. So notice, notice what the Bible says, because we're, we're, getting, we're getting Revelation 12. Remember, that's from the view of heaven, right? The, the events of end times from the view of heaven. The writer of heaven is telling us, hey, if you're in heaven, rejoice. He's never coming back. And finally, you know, good riddance, bad rubbish. But the Holy Spirit, John, as the human writer, writes these words. When Satan gets cast out the second time and he's exiled from heaven, woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. See, the second time that Satan gets cast out and he's exiled from the earth, he sees the handwriting on the wall. He realizes like, oh, wow, this time God was serious. 
and now he can't, he's cast down to the earth, and he's angry. The Bible says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath. Why is he so mad? Why is he so angry? Because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And, the dra- and when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, notice what the Bible says, he persecuted the woman. Who's the woman? Humankind, man, right, man, man, mankind. 1,260 days, three and a half years, the first four seals of, of, of the tribulation period, the four horsemen, the first part of Daniel's 70th week, whatever you want to call it. He persecuted the woman, which brought forth the man-child, and to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for, notice again, proof that this is end times prophecy, for a time and times and half a time. You say, what is that referring to? Well, if you realize that the big numbers when it comes to end times are three and a half years, and he says, you say, how long is is this going to go on for? For a time. Let's just say time represents one year. We have time, one year, times, plural, two years, and then half a time, half a year, that's three and a half years. And the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time. Sorry, preppers. This is not a prepping verse. This is all mankind. All mankind is going to be helped by God during the three and a half years because Satan would kill every human being on earth if he could. He's come down with great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And the woman was given... Uh, two wings of a great eagle, verse 14, that she might fly into the wilderness, into the place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. He's trying to kill the woman. Notice, that's the first four seals. The four horsemen, verse 17, And the dragon was wroth with the woman. Who's the woman? Human race. He's trying to kill all of humanity, but he's failing at that too. So he's wroth. So now he shifts gears. We open the fifth seal, which is the persecution of all believers, which is the setting up the abomination of desolation, which is the Antichrist being declared God on earth, which means that you now have to worship the beast in his image. You now have to take the mark of the beast. You now have to, uh, you can only buy and sell when you have the mark of the beast. So everyone on earth takes this except for believers. Notice what the Bible says. Verse 17, and the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant. If he can't kill all of humanity, then he goes to make war with the remnant of her seed. What remnant of her seed? Which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ the fifth seal, the great tribulation, the persecution of all believers. I mean, it's clear. If you turned off, you know, you're thinking television and read the Bible. Go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. So we have the two falls. What are they? The fall from grace and the fall from glory. If you don't like those names, I don't like them either. But they're alliterated, so they work. He fell from grace. He's no longer a holy angel. He's no longer a sinless being. He sinned against God. He lost his position. He was cast down to the earth, but he did not lose his access to heaven. He's the accuser of the brethren. 
He's roaming the earth to and fro as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may, may devour. But he still has access to heaven, and he's accusing the brethren every time you and I do something stupid. But the second time, in the end times, when he goes to make war in heaven, he's going to be cast out again. But this time, there'll be no place found for him in heaven. He'll be exiled to the earth. He'll realize that his time is short, and he'll begin the steps of what we know as end times prophecy or the opening of the seals and the tribulation period. 1 John chapter 3. We'll, we'll finish up right here. Let me, let me just say, say a couple of things. Satan has been causing problems for all humanity for a long time. Since the Garden of Eden. He's hated mankind. In fact, you know, I told you we'd be done, but let me just share one more verse with you real quickly. Go, go back to Isaiah, if you would. Isaiah chapter 14. I, I meant to point this out, and I didn't point it out. Uh, I just want to show it to you. Because let me tell you something, especially you young people. Satan's not your friend. He's not trying to help you out. He hates you. He wants to destroy your life. Let me see if I can find. I didn't write this in my in my notes. I should have wrote it, wrote it down. Uh, look at look at Isaiah fourteen verse six. This is when Satan's get. You know the Bible tells us that 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 God's going to judge him, destroy him. Look at verse six. He who smote the people in wrath. Do you see that? Because remember we talked about this morning that Satan is the one that is controlling the earth. He's setting the agenda on earth. He's the God, the lowercase g God of this world. Say, so, well, how does, how does Satan rule the world? Here's how he does it. He smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke. He, ruled, he that ruled the nations in anger, the Bible tells us when he goes to hell, is persecuted and none hindereth. But I want you to notice that the Bible says that when Satan ruled the earth, which is right now, because this speaking prophetically, he ruled the nations in anger. He smote the people in wrath. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. When, when Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, he didn't say your friend. He didn't say your drug dealer. He didn't say the, the casino worker. He didn't say the liquor store. Your friend at the liquor store. Your friend at the casino. Your friend uh, uh, selling you drugs. No, no. Your adversary, the devil, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He wants to destroy you. He wants to kill you. He wants to ruin your testimony. He wants to ruin your marriage. He wants to make sure your children don't live for God. He wants to make sure your children don't respect you. That's what he wants. Satan has been causing problems for all of humanity for a long time. Ruling in wrath and anger. But like we talked about this morning, don't let that scare you. Don't go home all scared about Satan. What am I going to do with the devil? Because remember, he is strong, but the Lord Jesus Christ is stronger. First John 3, 8. He that committeth sin, don't miss it, is of the devil. Well, I'm not serving the devil. I just want to live in sin. There's no neutrality. You're either with Jesus or you're against him. No man can serve two masters. And you're not, you're like, I'm just doing what I want. No, you're not. You're either doing what Jesus wants or you're doing what Satan wants. You're not part of that equation. 
He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. You say, why did Jesus come to this earth? He came for certain things. One was to seek and to save that which was lost. But that was not the only reason. He also came for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Satan has been causing problems for humanity for a long time. But let me tell you something. Satan will be destroyed by Jesus. It's, it's one of the things that Jesus came to do. Go back to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. The fall of grace, the fall of glory. Let me just say this if, if you want to add a few more falls. There's a couple more falls you could add to that storyline. One is when he falls into the bottomless pit, when he's thrown into hell during the millennial reign, then he'll be loosed. And then he gathers. You Look, every time Satan gets a chance, you know what he tries to do? He tries to fight against God. After millennial reign, he gathers Gog and Magog to fight against God, and then he's cast into the lake of fire. There's a third and a fourth fall for you if you want. So then we have this matter of Luke chapter 10 and verse 18. And he, Jesus, said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Now people like to argue about, well, what is Jesus referring to? Because it's kind of randomly brought up in the passage. They're talking about all this other stuff, and then Jesus just kind of randomly just says, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. And then what's interesting is that it doesn't seem like when Jesus said, he says, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven, but it doesn't seem like this is something that happened at this time. Because the two falls of, of Satan, one happened towards the beginning of history, after the week of creation, between, before the Garden of Eden, I mean, between the second and third chapter of Genesis, that's when that first fall happened. The second fall is connect, connected to Daniel's 70th week, the three and a half year times, time, times, and half a time, 1,260 days. So Jesus is kind of in the middle of these two times, and he says, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. So people like to argue, no, he's speaking about the fact that he's, he's just saying that he saw it happen over here. Or other people like to say, no, no, he's speaking prophetically about when he saw it here. And look, both of those, those arguments could be true because he did, Jesus was there when it happened the first time, and speaking prophetically about something as though it's already happened is biblical because the Bible says that God speaks of those things which are not as though they already are. So, you know, people like to argue. And they'll say, well, is he talking about that fall? Is he talking about that fall? I think that Jesus just kind of vaguely threw it out there in the middle of human history. He's probably talking about both. I mean, you could apply it to both. I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. You say, well, this is all confusing, and I don't know that the disciples would have understood that. But here's all you need to understand. Even if you don't understand the falls, even if you don't understand Daniel's 7th week, even if you don't understand anything of everything we've talked about, here's all you need to understand. Satan is going to fall. I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. That's all you need to know. Let's bow our heads and I will pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for these passages of Scripture, these Scriptures you give us to study, Lord. I pray that you'd help us to study, to show ourselves approved unto God. And obviously, I'm not going to stand up here and pretend that I understand everything the Bible says and understand all of these things. And I'm sure there's even more detail that we could go into. But Lord, I pray that you would just help us to realize that we are on the winning side. 
Satan's going to fall. He has fallen. It's already as good as done. And help us remember that there, there is no neutrality. We're either with Jesus or we're not. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to live for Jesus. I know that we're saved through the blood of Christ, but help us to live for him. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're now, Brother RJ, come up and lead us in a final song. I uh, just want to remind you of a couple things. Don't forget, if you've not yet signed up for the Soul Winning Seminar, so please do that. And 